It is a delight to welcome you to Community Alliance this morning. How many of you are here this weekend because you're visiting a family member's Father's Day or, or you've been invited in? How many of you are here today just for this weekend and you're here visiting us? Thank you. It's a delight to have you at Community Alliance. A number of information is in your bulletin, so make sure you read it carefully. A couple of major events that are coming up. One, obviously, you see is Bible School coming up beginning next uh, Monday. Not this coming, but a week and a half from now. And then this summer, we have the opportunity to take a number of youth on a missions trip. One of the highlights every three years that we have to take youth from our church and a couple of other churches, actually, on a youth missions trip to the Dominican Republic. And there are sponsors who obviously need to go with them. A lot of these sponsors give up vacation and a lot of time to be a part of that. And if you can help them out, if we can help them out to do that financially, we would love to. So if you uh, can, that blue insert this morning is directed to that. We encourage you to make sure you uh, take that out, read it, pray over it, and see if God calls you to help them out so that they can go debt-free and really enjoy the experience with their kids. We do appreciate what they're willing to do and especially the opportunity to be a part of that particular ministry and changing the life of a young person in a dramatic way when they experience what it's like overseas. Happy Father's Day, dads. I hope someone has already made you feel welcome. And uh, you get up this morning with the card by your coffee pot or uh, breakfast in bed before you got there, maybe coffee coming into your room. Any of that? None of that? Don't you, I mean, do, do, don't you love, yeah, you're going, oh, great idea. Why didn't you think of that? <laughs> do you love being a dad? How many of you do weekend getaways every so often with your kids when they were little? Three of you. I, I, I'm not, and for a number of reasons, and I'll explain it some of the time, you all, have to have to, all you have to do is ask me. I'm not a Walmart fan, but I love their recent commercials on parenting. Have you seen those? Out of all of the ones that I've seen over the last year, this one here has to be my favorite, of a dad who obviously seems to take his kids on a vacation or a weekend getaway, just father and sons. This is, out of all of them, my favorite. A pinnacle fishing rod, a tackle box, an Ozark trail tent, and an air horn. Come on, boys, let's go. Let's get out. This is a fishing trip, not a sleeping trip. All right. That's what you asked for. You're going to get this, huh? Ah! There you up now. <laughs> okay, no matter, no matter how many times you see that one... That's still the best. I came home one night. My wife showed me that commercial. I rewound it 28 times. Since I thought that's the funniest thing a dad can do on a weekend experience with his kids. And I love that last line. They're up now. I know I'm not objective. But I think being a man in today's world, probably to be honest with you in any day and age, is an incredible challenge. Last two weekends, I had weddings, and every time I have a wedding, I think I'm to 180-some now, I have a man standing before me. I look at that groom, bright-eyed, so excited about the future and all that God's going to do in their lives. The one yesterday, we weren't sure who was going to cry first. He started. I mean, I couldn't believe it. She came through the door, and you always want that magic moment when she comes through the door. She came through the door, and I say to every groom or every uh, family, make sure you look at the groom's face. You'll watch the bride all the way down the aisle, but you get one second to watch that groom's face light up when that bride comes in the door. So everybody turned and looked at him, and he's dampening his face. 
I mean, he was overwhelmed when she walked through the door. They come up on the stage, and I look into his eyes, and I said, Ryan, I want you to know, I think one of the greatest challenges ever given to us as men of God are given to us from the Word of God that said, men, you're to love your wives like Christ loved the church. Now, I know you love her, and every one of them do, but the issue is to love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's where the challenge comes in. It's not a man that stands up on this stage and ready to get married that doesn't love his wife. But to love her like Christ loved the church is an enormous challenge. Another challenge that I'm sure you're very aware of is to be a parent. Whether a mom or a dad, being a parent today is an incredible challenge. In the 1960s, 17% of American homes were single-parent homes. 50 years later, a generation later, in 2010, how many homes do you think are now single-parent homes? 47%. In 50 years, a generation, we've gone from 17% of the homes that are single-parent homes to 47% in 2010 that are single-parent homes. And so that, in and of itself, is an enormous challenge to you as a parent, especially for those who are single parents who may not have a dad at home or a dad to take their kids fishing or hiking or on a boat experience or something like that. So every so often when I come to a context like this and I'm reminded that it's Father's Day and we're going to talk to fathers for the next few moments together, I also am reminded there's a lot of moms in the room who would love to have a father take their kids somewhere and spend a weekend with them. And when I look at the stats that I heard just two or three days ago, I was stunned by the difference that's happened in the last 50 years. The other challenge, though, beyond that is to be a dad. And as you'll notice in the sermon title this morning, to be a righteous dad in a very unrighteous world is an incredible challenge. You know and I know that almost anyone can be a father or father a child, but it takes a very special individual to be a dad. I've often, throughout the years, have noticed when someone, whether it be a girl or a guy, will kind of draw a line, not always intentionally, but when I hear them call or refer to their dads as father, or either address him or talk about him all the time, and only that word father, or the ones who call him dad, and then there's those ones who call him daddy, you can see a transition taking place sometimes when you watch the relationships. There's a lot of guys in the room that can be a father. It takes a very special one to be a dad. I think it takes a really enormous challenge to be a righteous father in a very unrighteous world. This morning, that's what I want to talk about. We've been over the last few weeks in the book of James, and believe it or not, I want to stay there this morning just using that as a foundation, and specifically Elijah. Out of all the Father's Day sermons you've ever heard, my guess is you've never heard one using Elijah as the model. But when I knew a few weeks ago that we would be here at this point in the context of Scripture in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18, and James uses Elijah as a model of an individual who prayed in a powerful way, an opportunity that we have through prayer to communicate with the God of the universe, and in some cases to ask him to do the impossible, and then of all people, James chooses to use Elijah, and then he makes a phrase or says a statement about him, a man just like Gus, a righteous individual, and you know and I know that our righteousness isn't in and of ourselves, it's in Christ, but a a righteous individual and a prayer of that righteous man is powerful and effective. 
As I began to think about that phrase and pray about that phrase, I thought there are a lot of things that we can look at today out of this context and apply it to fathers and where we are as dads and trying to be as best as we know how with all the help that God can give us and all the strength based on the commitment that we've made this morning in our singing to be a righteous one in a very unrighteous world. The context is in James chapter 5. So if you have it, you can turn there. We're going to spend a lot of time this morning in 1 Kings 18 and 19. He's been speaking to us about prayer, relationships, and the family of God. We're going to finish those in the next two weeks. He said, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Anyone happy? Let him sing psalms of praise. Anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. King James says, man. Elijah, he uses as an example, as a human being, even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, didn't rain the land for three and a half years, he prayed again, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. I want to use 16 and 17 where it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective and Elijah was a human being like us as the foundation for what I want to share this morning. There are a number of things I think we can point out in Elijah's life and make some, what I believe are some amazing parallels to us. The first thing I want to point out in this context of scripture is when James uses the phrase, Elijah is a man just like us. I think one of the things we tend to do with biblical characters is make them a little larger than life. Now, when you read the stories about them, they are larger than life. Moses and David and and Elijah and go all the way through the Old Testament and you look at the lives of some of these incredible characters and how they stand out, there's a natural tendency to look at them and make them larger than life. What fascinates me about this phrase is when James picks one like Elijah, who of all the biblical characters would indeed be a man larger than life. And he says, I just need you to know, he's just like us. So often we look at these experiences and these who had amazing experiences with God and say, well, it must have been great for Elijah, but that'll never happen through me. What I want to see and what I understand out of this section of Scripture is never, ever, ever underestimate what God can do to you, through you, and with you regardless of where you are in life or regardless sometimes of what you think about your stature in life. It's so easy to look at the incredible conquests or unbelievable stories in the Old Testament with some of these characters and think, well, that would never be me. I couldn't lead the people like that. I I couldn't make a stand like that. I I wouldn't, wouldn't have that courage to pray like that. And yet when I look at that small phrase that stood out to me like a neon sign when James says, look, I need you to know these guys are just like us. And God can use us, any of us, or all of us in this room as a man. Just like he did them. Never ever underestimate what God can do with you, through you, and in you if indeed you'll do what we said a moment ago in a song, make myself available to him. Let him do through me what he wants. Elijah's story is found in 1 Kings 18 and 19, a couple of other chapters, but I want to concentrate this morning on those two chapters specifically. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah was a man capable of of obedience and unbelievable faith. By chapter 19, he was a man subject to discouragement, 
and depression. Just like us, Elijah acted heroically at times and cowardly at others. In chapter 18, he takes on the prophets of Baal at one point, and by chapter 19, runs from one woman. I've seen individuals who can lead companies or organizations of a hundred men, but are afraid of their wives. I've seen individuals who can lead multi-million dollar organizations, but can't seem to lead a family of four. And I've seen men who had ordinary jobs, who were extraordinary dads. Elijah was a man just like us. He was a man just like us with what he was up against, and he was just like us in what he was called to do about what he was up against. If you take the time this afternoon or sometime through this week, because I won't go through the whole story this morning, to read the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and 19, you're going to find out that he goes up against Baal and Jezebel. Baal is a god, a rival god of the Israelite nation, Jezebel was the wicked woman that I referred to a moment ago in chapter 18 and 19, the wife of the leading king at that particular time. But if you read this story, you're going to very clearly notice that Elijah is not up against just a a rival god or a stone statue or a wicked woman. Elijah is up against the most unbelievable power of evil that stands behind those two individuals, that God Baal and that woman Jezebel. Baal is a rival god to Jehovah God that the Israelites worshipped and we worship. The word Baal means Lord Possessor. The worship of Baal was thought to increase abundance. The more you worship Baal, the more you got. Today we'd call it what? Materialism. The spirit behind that would be the one with the most toys wins. And the trap would be the more you want, the more you get, the more you get, the more you want, which never ends. So the thing you thought you had to have or had to possess to be satisfied and fulfilled now possesses you. Baal worship in those days was about power, wealth, sexual fulfillment, and control where you're never satisfied and it's never enough. Seriously, when you draw parallels through 3,000 years of time to what you and I are up against today or what you and I as dads or what you and I as parents are up against today, We're up against the same things that Elijah was up against in those days. Incredible thirst for more. Never the ability to be satisfied. Always wanting more. You know that, raising kids. No matter what you get them, they would still want a little bit more. How many times, whatever that may be, I want an iPhone, I want a cell phone, I want a car, on and on the list is go. Elijah finds himself in a situation with life out of control with a passion for things and the desire for things out of control. What Elijah faced within the context of Baal worship is very similar to the day in which we live and the issues we face. With morality out of control, no moral compass to point the way, and the tremendous power of materialism. The power of evil that Elijah was up against is the same power that you and I are up against, the same power we as parents and grandparents are up against today. All you have to do is look at the TV in your living room or the computer that you have to know exactly what I'm talking about. Elijah was a man like us concerning the moral degradation of his day, and so are we. You all, all you have to do is watch some of the trailers 
of some of the movies that have been produced the last 10 or 20 years. And it scares you enough just watching the trailers of some of the movies that are advertised. Elijah was up against some of the most wicked moral degradation of his day. And so sadly are you and I sometimes as dads or parents with the day in which we live. Elijah was a man like us by what he was up against. But he was also a man like us by what he was called to do about what he was up against. And what Elijah was called to do was to expose it, to stand up against it, and call God's people from it. And as dads in today's world, so are we. And your case is mine. We may only be called to expose it, stand up against it, and call God's people from it within the context of our family. Maybe God's going to call you to a bigger stage, but the first place to do that is within the context of your family. You've got to call your family to a high standard of of morality to a higher level of, of a standard of not just simply living or lifestyle, but to the standard that God calls us to do and to be as followers of Jesus Christ. And because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not a list of things that I do or don't do, but because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, there are things that I don't watch, things that I don't do, places I don't go, issues that I don't participate in, things that I don't watch, things that I don't actively read. whether it's within the context of your family or maybe God gives you a higher stage to call people to a higher level of living. So often, men abdicate that responsibility to their wives, the level of, or the responsibility of spiritual maturity. But it's yours and mine as men. So often, men have said, well, I'm the provider. The wife is a nurturer until I read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The King James Version has said, Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not just the mom's responsibility, but our responsibility as men to provide an example to our children, to call them out, to call them up, to allow them to see that it's not just simply something that others do, but this is what we do, this is what we don't do. This is a standard acceptable in our home. These are things that are not. And as a father, as a man of God, in a wicked environment that we find ourselves in, or Elijah did, we have the responsibility to call our people up. He gave them the challenge in 1 Kings 18, one of the most well-known challenges in all the Old Testament. When he places before the people this phrase, how long will you waver between the two? How long are you going to waver between the two? If the Lord your God is God. If the Lord, our God, is your God, then follow him. If he isn't, follow Baal. But you can't play the line. Elijah had an opportunity to call the people of Israel up to a higher level of living. And he gave them that enormous challenge found in the word of God. Choose you this day. What will you do? If the Lord, your God, is your God, if the Lord, our God, is your God, then follow him. If he's not, follow Baal. But you can't waver between the two. You've got to make a decision. Which one are you going to follow? And then what will be the pattern of our home? Pattern of our home? Every dad needs to make the same choice before he can lead his family to do it as well. And then challenge his family to do it. And believe me, your kids will believe it more when they see it's real in you. Not because you say it, but because you live it. I have chosen, I have made a decision Based on what we sang this morning, me and my house, as Joshua said, we're following God. We're following God's standards. And it's going to be obvious in my life. 
And remember, just because you didn't see it in your father is no excuse to not have it start with you. I hear so often, well, my dad didn't or I didn't have a good example. Totally get that. I was blessed with a great example. My dad's going to be here in the second service this morning. I was blessed with a great example. All I've learned through the years is that's no excuse for not having it start with you. Regardless of what you have not seen or have not had in your past experiences or wasn't there in your grandfather or maybe wasn't there in your dad, you have an incredible opportunity to have it start with you. To have it start with your generation in your home. One of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is to be a dad who steps up to the plate as we were challenged to a moment ago. I know Father's Day is the day when you get the gifts, but I'm telling you, one of the best things you can do for your kids is to be a dad who really does step up and says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're not going to vacillate between the two. It's the standard that we have chosen. It's the standard that I'm going to live, and then it's the standard that I'm going to model, and then it's the standard I'm going to call you up to as the people in our home that are going to follow me. Elijah wasn't perfect, not at all. Chapter 19, you're going to see an incredible portrait of a man who had been pressed emotionally to the limit, almost to the breaking point. Even a person of Elijah's stature could get scared, depressed, and want to quit. I've been there, and maybe so have many of you. If you read the story, you're going to find a fascinating issue that takes place or a a, a a change of events that takes place between 1 Kings 18 and 19 where Elijah in chapter 18 calls down fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice. He challenges the people who are serving Baal and the prophets of Baal to a challenge in front of all the people. Two sacrifices. You build one, I'll build the other. In his case, pour water all over mine. You call for your God to send down fire from heaven. I'll call for my God, the Lord God Jehovah, to call down fire from heaven, see which one wins. If you know the story, if you get back and read it, you're going to find out that Elijah prayed a simple prayer and fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar, consumed the sacrifice, lapped all the water up that was poured around the sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a good day in ministry. When you can call down fire from heaven and it works. I remember a long time ago when I was teaching Bible school with kids, I I just thought that was one of the coolest stories on the planet. And I would always bring in something to demonstrate it. So the next night is Elijah, fire from heaven. And I thought, this is cool. This is going to work good. We did a little fire outside, had wood all around us, and I had a fire burning underneath it, and I had gunpowder in my pocket. I thought it would work. So I got to that point of calling down fire from heaven and threw the gunpowder on the fire, and I missed the little flame underneath it. And it didn't work. And then all of a sudden, finally, all the gunpowder sifted to the bottom, and then it really did work. When you can call down fire from heaven and it works, that's a good day in ministry. But if you read chapter 19, after all the conquests and the power exchange and the battle that took place and battling all the prophets of Baal, after this amazing display of faith and courage, Elijah falls apart. The lesson, I believe, for us is that you and I need to be more careful when things are going well than when they're going bad. Because sometimes we can be more vulnerable after victories than after defeats. There's nothing, I'm telling you, that can make us or put us in a more vulnerable position 
as men, in regards to morality or wherever that may be, as when things are going well as opposed to when they're going bad. We sometimes, in his case, he's susceptible to fear, bad judgment, and poor discernment. David, King David, fell morally at the height of his career, not at a low point. Think about how many politicians, businessmen, sports heroes fell when they were successful, not necessarily at the bottom of their career. One of the things that this teaches me as I look at the parallel between these two sections of Scripture, chapter 18 and chapter 19, when Elijah fell apart literally and wanted to die, is that I constantly wanted to be in a situation where I recognize that I'm just as accessible, accessible, susceptible to fear, to bad judgment, to poor discernment, to immoral decisions at the height of when things are going well as at the bottom. That's why Peter said, be very alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The other thing you need to notice, or at least I notice in this particular passage of Scripture, between chapter 18 and chapter 19, is the necessity for balance in our lives. Very difficult to maintain a 1 Kings 18 intensity of life without paying some kind of price. The passion, the movement, the enthusiasm, the desire, the constant motion that takes place in 18 brings him, unfortunately, to a crashing point in chapter 19. In Elijah's case, it leads to burnout, fear, and poor discernment. In your case or my case, it could lead to anything from moral indiscretion to too much time away from our family. If your priorities and my priorities aren't, number one, my relationship with God, secondly, my relationship with my mate, thirdly, my relationship with my children, then my career, then my hobbies, I'm honestly telling you something is out of order. And when you get those out of order, we will pay a price. If it's not my relationship with God, then my mate, then my children, and then my career, or maybe my ministry, whatever that may be, then my hobbies, I'm telling you, when you get them out of order, we'll pay a price. God set some boundaries thousands of years ago when he said six days are for labor, rest on the seventh. And the seventh wasn't meant go to church, then go home and catch up on all the chores you didn't accomplish in the first six. It's to stop, it's to cease. Spend time with God. I've heard of some guys through the years brag about not taking a day off like it's a badge of courage. We wouldn't think about so flippantly violating any of the other Ten Commandments like stealing, cheating, lying, or worshiping other gods. Then why that one? Unless, of course, we willfully violate the other nine. Violate your relationship with God or your mate or your children or you'll pay a price. God said, I want you to labor. I want you to give it your all six days. But on the seventh, I want you to stop. Cease from your labor. Create balance in your life. In his case, in this case, spend some time with him. Now, just telling us that we need to do this isn't going to change our behavior, not going to change our priorities. We all have to make a decision. What I love about God, one of the thousands of things that I love about God, in this case, for whatever reason, Elijah crashed and burned, whether it was his pace, whether it was the issues he was facing, whether it was the moral degradation of his day that took its toll on him. What I love about this particular story is what God does in chapter 19. He met him at the point of his need. He gave him rest. He fed him. He renewed his call on his life. You'll notice that at the end of the chapter. And he gives him a friend, and a partner in ministry, whose name was Elisha. It's easy for men to be loners. 
Sadly, loners don't make it as loners very long. And I'm honestly telling you, I battle with this one constantly. Elijah was a man like us with all of his issues and flaws. A man like us in what he was called to do about what he was called to deal with. He was a man like us with what he was called to stand up against. And a man like us in what he was called to do about what he was to stand up against to set a standard, to live it himself, and call his family to it. As men of God, I, I, we need to be challenged every once in a while to evaluate our priorities, to make sure they're in line, and then set the pace for the next generation. To let our kids, let our children see us taking a stand for what we know is right. And not just by saying it, but by living it. And then calling the next generation up to that. Dennis Rainey, who's head of Family Life Ministries, has written a book called Stepping Up. And uh, you're going to see a, an advertisement for that. I've read the first few chapters. It's incredibly challenging and extremely well done. There are a ton of other resources I know that are out there as men to help us understand what it means to really step up to the plate. To be all that God has called us to be. To be all that God has called us to do. And as Justin was challenging us even this morning, and as I believe Elijah does, an opportunity for us as men of God to say, me and my house, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to be men of God who are willing to take on the challenges of the wicked world in which we live, live a righteous life, but not only live it for ourselves, live it for the next generation, call our children to it, live it in front of them so that they can see it. Most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Sherwood Baptist Church. If you're not familiar with Sherwood Baptist Church, you're familiar with what they're most known for. And that is the making of some incredible movies over the last few years. They are the ones that were most well-known years ago for Facing the Giants and then a few years ago for the movie called Fireproof. God has called them to that adventure, and they've done a phenomenal job. You ought to read the pastor's story in that called Preparing for Rain. They have a new one coming out this fall called Courageous. And what they have found, the longer they're in this journey, the more successful they become, the better well done their movies are. I want to show you a clip for the trailer for the movie Courageous coming up this fall, and you'll see the challenge that is in it that speaks to what we've talked about this morning. And then we're going to close. Sheriff's office. We have a warrant for your arrest. Back door, back door! Deputy Thompson has now survived his rookie year. I guess that means you can start using real bullets now. <laughs> when you get married, have some kids, you're going to figure out real quick how much you don't know. You missed Emily's piano recital. Can I talk to you? Can I suggest that you spend a little more time with him? All he wants to do is play video games and go run five miles. What are you doing home? They let me go. I feel like it messed up your childhood not having a dad. More than you know. Adam, I need you to come with me right now. Man, if it wasn't for my family, I'd be in a tailspin right now. You do heal, but you're never the same. I want to know what God expects of me. Me down the road. I've been doing about half of what I should have been doing as a dad. You're being too hard on yourself. Now I am Revolution. Alone. Yeah, 
You've been a good enough father. I don't want to be a good enough father. Can I sign this too? I don't feel like I started well. I want to finish well. If you're going to do this, then do it right. Something like this needs ceremony. I feel like a rich man. As your father, I want the very best for you. I promise to take care of you. Courage. I believe every father should step up and answer the call. And to say, I will. I will. I hope you and I are all willing, as men of God, to step up and answer the call and say, as for me and my house, we are serving Father, we thank you for the responsibility you place in our hands as parents. It's an enormous challenge. We never want to take it lightly. We thank you for the privilege of being able to mold and shape the next generation. And I trust that you will continue to give us wisdom and discernment. For every dad in this room this morning, some are facing enormous challenges with their career, with the uncertainty of the economy that we live in today and I and the challenges of raising kids in a in a godly world or in a godly environment in an ungodly world give us wisdom courage and strength to step up to be all that we need to be and let the next generation know that we indeed are willing to be men of God
I'm sure as a dad or a mom in a room, you've been in those situations where you were at a park somewhere or an event someplace, and all of a sudden you recognize that one of your kids were just not right where they were supposed to be. And you know that panic that goes through you when you're in an event or at a sea world or something like that, and you just can't find your child until you find them? Everything finally gets back to rest. Well, I'm sure you've been there as a parent, but sometimes that happens spiritually as well. When the ones that we really want to be followers of Christ or continue on their journey end up, for whatever reason or the other, drifting away. How do we respond to that? When do we know when to let them go, when to bring them back, when to pick them up, and when to let them fall? That's where we're going to be for the last two weeks of this series, and then we'll be done. And we'll start there next Sunday morning. Have a great, great, great Father's Day. Enjoy it to the fullest. God bless you. See you next Sunday. Thank you, sir. You too. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the day. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, sir. Hey, bud. Happy Father's Day. Enjoy it to the fullest. Thank you. God bless you. Have a good, good day. Good morning. Hi, Buck. Good morning. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Happy Father's Day. Good to see you. Thank you, sir. Enjoy it, bud. She's doing great. She's doing